This is the fourth week of our series where we're going through the book of Colossians. And we're doing that verse by verse. And today we are in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. So again, you can flip over there now or scroll there, whatever you got to do. Today is all about reconciliation. Somebody say reconciliation. reconciliation. I've been waiting for three months to do that. Thank you. Now, I don't know what that word conjures up in your mind, but here's the dictionary definition of reconciliation. It says, reconciliation is to restore friendly relations between, it's to cause to coexist in harmony, and it's to make or show to be compatible. So in other words, reconciliation is all about fixing and restoring. It's about seeing a problem and making it right. That's what it's all about. And here's just a simple example to paint a picture for this. So a few weeks ago, Lori and I had ordered some lumber. I mean, I'm not a handyman. We had help, you know, with this project, but we needed work done on our deck. And so we call the lumber yard. They bring it in on a truck. They drop it off in our driveway. We put it right inside immediately. No problem. That was on a Saturday. Two days later on the Monday, we were out for the evening, and we got home at like 10.30 at night or something, and we pull in the driveway, and here's a pile of lumber in the driveway. And immediately, like, your mind is just very confused. Like, wait, I thought we put that inside. Like, have I just totally lost it? Like, did we move it out? Did Lori do this and I didn't notice? I don't know. But on further examination of it, it was not the same stuff that we ordered. And it actually had someone else's name on it. And uh, so that was a mistake. So we had to call. The, this is probably like a couple hundred bucks of lumber just sitting out in the open in my driveway. So we called the company the next day, and I explained there's been a mistake. And the lady on the other end of the phone, here's her exact response. <sighs> so they had dropped someone else's lumber off by mistake. So later that week, the truck showed up and loaded this lumber that wasn't ours on the truck, and they drove off. So that was a mistake they made. That was something that needed to be reconciled, fixed, made right. Let me just pause on that for a second. The cool thing about reconciliation that I want you to understand is that it's more of a beginning than an end. When something is made right, restored, fixed, all the parties that are involved in that, that's not the end of the story, but now they're able to live uh, better off because of that. So when our lumber got picked up, I actually don't really know where it went. I hope it went to the guy who ordered it. Let's assume it did. That wasn't the end of the story when it drove off from my yard. It got to him and he got to use it to build his deck and get more enjoyment out of his property. It wasn't the end just when they immediately came to pick the stuff up. So like I said, reconciliation is the restoring of friendly relations. It's the causing to coexist in harmony. It's the making or showing to be compatible. Here's the thing. The idea is that we were none of those things with God. On our own, before we knew Christ, we were not friendly, on friendly terms with God. Things were not right between us. We were not compatible. But God changed that. There it is. She's got it. All right. I was just, oh, I was, thank you so much. I was just waiting for that. So here's the deal, and you guys all know this. I'll say it for your benefit, for encouragement, and if anyone is watching or listening to this later, God created everything, and he said it was good and very good. We came along and we sort of messed all that up. We sinned. We rebelled against God. We turned our back on God. We went against uh, his will. And sin 
essentially ruins everything. Sin fractured the created order that God made, and it separated us from God. That's a bad thing. It's not just, oh, God's over there and I'm close by. It's you're totally cut off. And rather than uh, living the life that we were created to live, close to God, in relationship with God, that's severed, and now we're separated and destined for death. It's not a good situation, but God loves us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to the earth. Jesus lived and died on a cross, and in so doing, he paid for our sin. Anybody know that today? Jesus paid for our sin, and he rose from the grave after dying on the cross, and so now we have the opportunity to respond to that. When we accept what Jesus has done, when we believe in his death and resurrection, and we repent of our sins, we are saved. We are saved from our sins, and we are welcomed into the family of God, and we receive the Holy Spirit, and we receive the promise of eternal life, and many other such good things. And in other words... We've been reconciled. If you're a believer today, you have been reconciled to God in Christ. That is our reality. And that is no small thing. So let's jump into our text. We are going to read the Bible. I didn't forget. Colossians 1.21. Here we go. It says this. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, that is a great bit of text, amen? That is a good little section. And today, we're going to look at those three short verses, and we're going to talk about seven realities of our reconciliation. In other words, because we have been reconciled to God, restored to right standing with God, these are seven blessings that we get to enjoy. These aren't the only seven, but these are the seven that we see in our text. And just for clarity, if you're not a Christian... You don't yet have these things. You haven't yet been reconciled to God, but you can be. That's an invitation. God wants that for you. But if you are a Christian, you do have these things right now, today, as you sit here, as you listen. And so as we go through these, I want you to give thanks for these. I want you to be encouraged by these. And I want us to increasingly uh, step into living in line and in light of these things. So that sound good? We're all on board? Let's jump into this. There's seven realities of our reconciliation. Number one is that we have been reconciled for relationship. Somebody say relationship. All right. So in verse 21 of our text, it says that we were once alienated. And while to me, because I have a little bit of a small mind, alienation is a pretty cool word, it's not a great concept. Alienation is the state or experience of being isolated from a group or an activity to which one should belong or in which one should be involved. So you're supposed to be here doing this, but you're not. You're over here not doing that. And this means, as it pertains to God, we were out. We were separate. We were not with him. We were not close to him uh, in any sense of the term. But, and I love how it says this in Ephesians 2.13, it says, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you know that today? You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And this is staggering, actually, because on our own, none of us, not one of us, can get anywhere near God on our own. And what came to my mind as I was thinking about it this week was the story of the Trojan horse. Anybody know that story? 
Just for a refresher, as the story goes, the Greeks were fighting against the Trojans who lived in the city of Troy, and supposedly this fight had been going on for 10 years. That's a long battle. And the Greeks were trying to get in and capture the city and take it over and do whatever they were going to do with it, but they could not get in. And so what they did is they uh, came up with a creative scheme and they built this giant wooden horse. They hid some of their soldiers up in it. They wheeled it or moved it or carried it or whatever they did up to the front uh, of the city of Troy and then they left. They pretended to sail away. And so then the Trojans, you know, they come up, they look up over the wall and there's this enormous horse and the Greeks are sailing off and they say, well, we've won and they've left us a victory trophy. So let's bring it in and celebrate. That was a mistake. So they bring it in, and of course, the soldiers that were in it came out, and they started overtaking the city by, uh, from the inside. My point in saying that is that there was no way those soldiers were going to get into the city on their own. So it is with us. So on our own, on our own merit, stock, good deeds, whatever, we can never get to God ever on our own. We need the help of something else to get us there, specifically someone else, and his name is Jesus Christ. And through Christ, we have been reconciled to God, like it said in Ephesians 2.13, and we've been brought in close. So alienated implies that there is no relationship, there's distance between, things are not right, but since we've been brought near and reconciled, that implies that there's supposed to be closeness and a relationship there. And it's a pretty noticeable thrust if you read the Bible. It's not a case of, okay, now we're saved and God is still, you know, somewhere far away and he may or may not be listening, but we don't know. No, we know that God's presence dwells within us as believers by his Holy Spirit. So God is in close. And again, I will say this. Most of you know about what I'm going to say next, but I'm going to say it for your benefit and your encouragement and, and help it to fuel our worship. I'll also say this if you're watching or listening or whatever and you don't know this, uh, to talk about what a relationship with God looks like. It can look like many things. That's the disclaimer. Uh, but in general, a relationship with God is a two-way street. Okay, just like any human relationship you would have. Here's a few things about it. Number one, you, are, you know him and are known by him. You know God and are known by him. Two-way traffic there. Jeremiah 9.24 says, Let him who boasts, boast in this. This is God talking. That he understands and knows me. It's profitable to know God, right? John 17.3, Jesus is saying, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. 2 Peter 3.18 is a place where we're encouraged to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we can actually know the true and living God. Anyone know him today? Yes, good. It's not just knowing about him, but actually experiencing him, knowing him uh, intimately. We are also known by him. 1 Corinthians 8.3 says, If anyone loves God, he is known by God. If you read Psalm 139, that's a great poetic descriptor of how we're intimately known by God, how he created us. Um, Jeremiah 1.5 says, "Before this is God talking, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So again, part of the relationship with God is that you know him and he knows you. Again, it's not just knowing about him. I know about some of you guys. I know some of you guys. It's not just like, you know, with you and God, you know, you each read each other's hockey card stats and you know a little about them. We're talking intimacy, closeness, authenticity, authenticity, something really good and true. You know him and are known by him. Number two, you love him and are loved by him. That one's good, amen? 
uh, there's a scripture that I always go on about when I'm up here going on and on, and it's from Matthew chapter 22. And in that, Jesus says the most important thing we can do is love the Lord. Love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. There's more actually even said, excuse me, in the scriptures about God loving us. Um, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 1 John 4, 19 is we love because he first loved us. And I could go on and on. There's about a, a million or two million more scriptures about God's love. But here's the thing. God has so much love for you, you and me. And the more you grow to follow him and know him better, the more you will grow in your love for him. I've found that to be true in my life, and it's wonderful. And the love of God, this will be the understatement of the day. Okay, you ready? Understatement of the day. The love of God is absolutely life-altering. It changes everything. When you start to grasp the love of God and how much love he has for you, and you start to experience that, and I say grasp because there's so much of it, you can never get it all in your hand, right? You can only just get a taste, and even that is so amazing. It changes everything. That totally changes our lives when we start to grasp that, and it's freeing, and it's wonderful. Uh, God, uh, in relationship with God, you know, you, here I go, you love God and are loved by God. Number three, you spend time together. So I'm married to Lori, I could not really say that we have that great a relationship if I never spent any time with her. Uh, oh yeah, we got married five years ago, haven't seen you much since. That's kind of a lousy relationship. So same, it's the same with God, right? You can't really say you have much of a relationship if it's like, yep, I got saved uh, 15 years ago and we hang out you know, once in a while, maybe Christmas and Easter. <laughs> And that's about it. That's kind of a lousy relationship, right? You have to spend time together. And that means exactly what you think it means, right? We don't have to overcomplicate this. We're talking about reading the Bible, praying, uh, worshiping, seeking him, all kinds of other things. And what I want to tell you is what's super cool is when you seek to spend time with the Lord, when you seek to get into his presence, he, he, he meets with us. It's not like, well, I've been trying to meet him and call him on the phone and he won't pick up. I don't know if he's around. No, he meets with us. God's word says that if we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And that's amazing. And in those times when God meets with us and we with him, he ministers to us. He encourages us. He strengthens us. He speaks to us. It's wonderful. It's not just, well, I'm in my prayer closet just yelling at the ceiling and nothing's happening. God actually meets with us when you spend time together. And number four, very simply, you worship him and put him first. That's part of our relationship with him. Worshiping God is literally our entire purpose. We've talked about that. It's our very reason for being on this rock that spins around the sun. And when we get this one right, when we consciously choose to put God in his rightful place, on the throne, in our hearts, it leads actually to our own flourishing. And when you're living a life of worship to God, it's not only that he shows up and meets with you, but he shows up in his glory and his majesty and his splendor. Isn't that awesome? You guys know what I'm talking about. And that's exactly how we need to see him. God is not the genie in the bottle who we are you know, in authority over. It's the other way around. God is in authority over us. God is on his throne. And when, when, when we, uh, like I say, when we see him that way and he shows up in that way in our lives, uh, we get caught up in worship and awe 
of him. And that changes everything. That changes our whole perspective and outlook and, and operation of life. So that's a few things about a relationship with God. And I can't overstate how important it is that you have one. And I could go on and on up here. I could explain a relationship with God in theological terms, maybe scientific terms, but you seriously need to experience it for yourself before you'll know what I'm talking about. And let me just be clear again, if you're not a believer, you don't yet have the relationship, but God wants to have that one with you. He wants to reconcile you to himself so that you can be in relationship with him. Um, if you are a believer, you have the ability right now to have a relationship with him. And maybe you do. Maybe you have a little one. Maybe you have a great one. Here's what I'll say, and I love you, and I'm saying this for your benefit. If you would, were to examine your life and you said, I don't really have much of a relationship with God, that's not his fault. No, you know what I'm talking about, though? That's not because he has been negligent or he's forgotten about you. It's, it's because we haven't sought him like we should be. It's because we haven't been investing or, or been intentional about it. Um, I don't say that as a condemnation. I'm saying that as an encouragement to you. Pursue the relationship with God today. Start today. Even if you've got a great one today, pursue it even further because there's always more. There's always more. And if you need help with that, come and talk to me. Talk to one of the leaders. We'd be happy to point you in the right direction. That, in a roundabout way, is uh, re reality of our reconciliation number one. We've been reconciled for a relationship. We've got to move on to number two. Somebody's checking their watch and they're saying, we've only had one so far, oh dear. It's going to be okay. Number two, we have been reconciled for peace. Somebody say peace. It says, still in Colossians 1.21, so we were alienated from God and it says we were hostile in mind against God. And you know that word hostility, right? That's fighting, that's conflict, that's uh, aggressive resistance, it's attacking, um, it's being pitted against someone else. Before we met Jesus, that is what we were to God. We were hostile. We were actively against him. And you say, well, Braden, I don't know. I mean, before I got saved, I, I wouldn't say I was actively against and resisting the Lord. I just didn't think about him much. Just didn't really pay any attention to him. That is being hostile to him. To not give any regard or any attention or any affection or give a rip at all about the Lord uh, is to be against him and to be against the purposes that he has for your life. Do you understand? Heads nodding. Good. Uh, but the key word is were. You were hostile against God. And like when it said hostile in mind, we're even talking like our very essence, right down to our very thought processes, were against him. And even on our best of days when we were trying to be good, like we couldn't even think straight. That's what this is saying. But that's, we were hostile to God. Now we have peace with God. That's what it says in Romans 5.1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what that means is if you're a believer means the war between you and God is over. I hope somebody's thankful for that today. The war is over. That dividing wall of hostility between you and God has been dismantled. Not it's got a little dent in it. Like that thing is down. It's gone. And what I want you to understand about peace, sometimes we think of peace like as long as there's not a fight going on, there's peace. But it's actually more than that. Peace is not just the absence of hostility. It's the presence of harmony. Peace isn't just the absence of a battle. It's the presence of blessing. 
And it's not just that God just so happened just so happens to not be against you anymore. It means that God is totally for you. And once we have peace with God, like we've been talking about, that's when we can start to experience the peace of God. And you guys know what I'm talking about. This is, this is God's peace that meets us seemingly exactly when we need it. You guys know. You guys have felt this. I've felt this. Right when you need it, he shows up and he administers his peace to us in real time just like in a flash. This is the peace that passes understanding that we read about. This is God showing up and giving us exactly what we need and quieting our souls and comforting us and encouraging us. Uh, this is confidence that we can have to walk in the Lord. This is the knowledge, the peace of God is the knowledge that no matter what happens in this life, because there are numerous bad things that can and do happen, ultimately everything is going to be okay. Because if God is for us, who or what can really be against us, amen? And the peace of God is so amazing. It's so refreshing. It's so life-changing. It's so calming. And I dare say we need it desperately. And a huge part of the life that God wants us to live is experiencing his peace. Again, not just being at peace with him, which is wonderful, but experiencing that peace in real time exactly when we need it. And that peace is 100% ours and available to us in Christ because we have been reconciled. We don't have to wait around for it. We don't have to clean our act up. God's peace is readily available to us because we've been reconciled. Number three, we have been reconciled for good works. Somebody say it, good works. Thank you. So still verse 21, we were alienated from God, we were hostile in mind, and it tells us that we were doing evil deeds. Before we were Christians, that is how essentially we occupied our time. Even on the best of days, we would do evil deeds. And even on our best of days, we were not all that good in the sight of God. Because like we've talked about before, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You don't please God before we're saved. We don't please God by anything that we do. It's not a matter of doing enough good things, right? Your classic, I'll do more good than bad and then I'll get to heaven, right? You've heard that one? I used to believe that actually, even though I grew up in the church. Obviously didn't listen very well when I was a kid. But anyway, that's an aside. We are not made right with God based on anything that we do. We are made right with God based on the work that he has already done. Faith in Jesus' atoning work on the cross is what makes us right with God. And since he paid for our sins, since he rose victoriously, we can accept that payment that he made and then we're declared right. And if that sounds scandalous to you, it kind of is. But that's God's grace for you. So with that said, now that we're saved, that's where the good works come into play. Now we see the good works as part of the life that God has for us as believers. So the implication from verse 21 is that, again, we used to do evil deeds. And we still don't get it right all the time now, but the implication is we used to be that way, but now God has something better for us, something different in mind for us than being occupied with that stuff. God is after us as believers to engage in good works. I don't want you to miss that. Oh, he must not be talking to me. That's only for pastors to do or elders or someone who leads a ministry. Nope. If you're a believer, that's you. God did not reconcile you to himself in Christ for nothing. God did not give you the very best of himself to save you 
only for you to be engaged in bad works or dead works or no works. God wants the fruit of our lives as believers to be good fruit. Remember we've talked about fruit, like how it's the result of what we do, good or bad. You can have good or bad fruit or whatever. Uh, he wants you, God wants you as a Christian to be a pleasant, generous, helpful, kind person, Christ-like person. So what I'm saying is you can't say to yourself, oh, I can just keep on sinning because God has grace for me and I can just do whatever I want. That is not the case. God gives us grace to be sure, but we can't use his grace as a cover-up for sin. We can't use his grace to justify our sinful behavior. We can't use his grace to justify being a jerk or lazy or unfruitful uh, or unpleasant or unhelpful or unkind. Uh, it says in Ephesians 2.10, very famous verse, that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So the question I want to ask you, and don't answer this one out loud, are there good works evident in your life today? Is there good fruit growing on the tree that is your life as a believer? Here's what I want to just say as well. I was thinking about this this week. I think the Lord was just kind of pinging me with this one. You know how he does that? Just kind of like this. I don't want you to look at good works like they're this crazy, lofty, unreachable spiritual experience that, you know, you have to be some spiritual giant or know the Bible in three languages or whatever to be able to do good works. I don't want you to see them that way. Here's what I want you to know. Every good work that we do in Christ is definitely a spiritual matter. Um, I, I think of Jesus' words where he said, if you see someone who's hungry and you give them something to eat, if you see someone who's thirsty and you give them a drink, someone who is without clothing and you clothe them, someone who is uh, sick and you look after them, someone who's in prison or isolated and you spend time with them. You know, remember what he said? He said, it's as though you're doing it unto me. It's a spiritual matter. Um, there's lots of other good works too. There's too many to name here, but what about just things, even just things simple? What about reading your Bible? What about spending time in prayer? What about worshiping? What about walking away from sin in your life? What about investing in your relationship with God that we've talked about? What about uh, encouraging someone? What about tithing? What about um, forgiving somebody? These are all good works uh, in Christ. And every good work we do in Christ is spiritual. Sometimes Sometimes especially the little things. I don't want you to lose what can be the simplicity of them. The bottom line is this. God has done the ultimate good work for us in Christ. He's already done that. So in response, will we give ourselves to good works through and for Christ? That's the question we need to ask ourselves as believers because we have been reconciled to God for good works. Number four, we have been reconciled from death by death. And this one is just pretty cool. So our situation before we knew Christ was not a good one, obviously, and we've talked about that. Uh, it's not a case of, well, you know, we didn't know Jesus, but you know what, all paths lead to heaven anyway, and I'm a pretty good person, so I would have probably been all right. God would probably have let me in to heaven, or I could have snuck over the wall or something. That's not what's going on. The Bible says the wages of sin, which we all have, is death. It's death. So we were headed straight for death. In verse 22 of Colossians 1, it says, though, we have been reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. And what this tells me, as we look to Jesus, it was not his 
miracles while he was on the earth that reconciled us to himself. It wasn't his compassion for people. It wasn't his authoritative teaching. It wasn't the virgin birth. All of those things are amazing. I'm not downplaying them at all, but they are not the means of our reconciliation. And it certainly was not our good works or our good deeds or our merit or anything that we did to reconcile us to God. The reconciliation comes through Jesus' death in the flesh. That's what it is. Now that death that he died, that was supposed to be mine. And that was supposed to be yours. That is the death that we deserve. And I'm not just talking about physical death because we will all likely experience that. I'm talking about the physical and spiritual death that happens when we're not connected to God. That death comes from sin. That death is accompanied by the wrath of God and it is not a good one. And not only is it the death that we deserved, it was the death we were headed straight for. We're talking like you're tied up on the tracks and the train is coming kind of thing. But Jesus took our death and he made a way of escape. Anybody thankful for that? And I want you to just think about it. Use your mind for a second. The way that our destiny, which is death, is changed is by death. That's kind of like tantamount to saying, you need a cure for the poison you just drank. You need to drink more poison. Doesn't really make a lot of sense, but that's how it is. Trust and believe in Jesus' death means that we don't have to die. Since we've been reconciled through his body of flesh in his death, we don't have to die. The cure for what ailed us, which is sin and eventual death, was someone taking on the very same ailment we were suffering from. We were in sin and headed for death. Jesus took our sin and died our death. We've been reconciled to God from death by the death of Jesus. Number five, you guys are doing great. Take a deep breath for me. Everybody take a deep breath. Another one. Make sure you're participating. Okay. Number five, we have been reconciled to be holy. Somebody say holy. We've talked about this before. God is holy. That means that God is perfect. He is sinless. He is spotless. He is without fault or blemish. He is far and high above. He is totally other than. And in order to be with God, in order to be in his presence, we also have to be holy. And it says in Hebrews 12, 14, that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's not some won't, only the bad people won't. It's nobody will. And we've talked on and on about how on our own merit, we're not good enough to have the velvet rope lifted and for us to be able to come into God's presence. We've talked about how we're too short to ride that ride. We are not holy enough on our own. But, and you can guess where I'm going, it's probably predictable, one of the goals of Jesus' death, which has reconciled us to God, is verse 22, in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So again, to be holy is to be set apart, without fault, purified, that kind of thing. To be blameless is to be innocent of wrongdoing. To be above reproach is to be in such a way that there is no occasion or reason to find fault in you. Holy and blameless and above reproach are all related in this uh, sense. And you need to know, my friends, that by Jesus' sacrifice, you as a believer, you have been declared holy. God says you are holy today if you belong to Jesus. One of my all-time favorite verses is uh, 1 Peter 2.9. It says that we as Christians are a royal priesthood. We are a chosen race. We are a holy nation. 
And it's like, I don't know, when I read this a couple of weeks ago, I was like, wow, God, that's kind of like, it's almost kind of hilarious in a way that you would just say and declare that I'm holy. It's like, do you not remember, like, some of the things I've done? Like, are you not paying attention? Is your TV off up there kind of thing? Like, why? But that's what he says we are as Christians right now. You are holy. That is our status in Christ. That is the position we have. Positionally, you are holy. And there's nothing that you can actually do to change this status or position because it's not based on anything about you. It's based on Jesus' holiness. It's based on Jesus' status. It's based on Jesus' position, not yours. And every Christian has this status. You are positionally holy in Jesus Christ. And I think that's super cool. This is called being justified. Somebody say that. So that's one sort of side of the coin to holiness. There's also another one. There's also a holiness, an element of holiness that we don't fully have right now and we do need to continue to grow into as believers. And I call this functional holiness because, answer me this, true or false, even after you got saved, there was still sin in your life and things that needed to be cleaned up. Amen? True or false? True. Oh wait, there still is. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> That is true. Um, we st still do sometimes live in ways that are unholy and not blameless and not above reproach. And, and though God, I want you to understand, God meets you and me in those situations with incredible grace. Um, his heart is that we would move beyond them in increasingly. He doesn't want us to live a life of continual sin. God wants us to live a life of continually walking away from sin. That's what it is as believers. And in Leviticus 11.44, God commands us to, this is him talking, he says, Be holy, for I am holy. So you can see a little bit of the tension there, right? We've been declared holy already as Christians, yet he tells us to be holy as though we're not fully there yet. Both of those things exist simultaneously. So even though you are positionally holy, we've got to grow in our functional holiness. And this is talking about our ongoing walk, day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision, for the rest of our lives, striving to become more like Christ. This is called our sanctification. Somebody? You're catching on. I love it. So now if you, if you hear that, talking about sanctification, and you say, well, Braden, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. You know, you might get the images in your mind of those Christians who seem like they are never able to do anything or have any kind of fun, and they're washed up. You kind of like get the Ned Flanders like thing in your mind about them. Um, you might say to yourself, if you think that, you might say, well, I don't want that. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do because it sounds like more fun. Here's, here's what I would tell you. I want to just encourage you with this. Doing things God's way is ultimately way more beneficial. It's way more fulfilling. It's way more enjoyable. It's way more satisfying. So if you really want to live as a believer, if you want to really live a life of gusto, and I do, I definitely do, God's way is actually the way to go 100% of the time. Sin does not make us feel more alive. Okay, sometimes it might give the illusion for a split second that it does, but it always fades away. It always leaves something to be desired. It always leaves us uh, unsatisfied. 
And sin is actually something that robs us of the life that God does have for us. Remember Jesus said, like, I came to bring them life and abundant life, life to the full. Sin robs us of that. And sin is miserable stuff. It entangles us like a web. We get stuck in it. And again, no matter how good a particular sin might seem to you in the moment, God's way is always better. And I'm telling you that from experience on some levels in my life. So even though as believers, we're inevitably going to be dealing with sin for the rest of our lives. Um, I don't want you, though, to overlook the fact that you can overcome sin in the here and now, in the present tense. I don't want you to say, it's too hard, it's not worth it, I can't do it, I'm giving up, I'm just going to give in. I don't want you to think that, my friends, because we can do it, and it is worth it. We do have the power as believers to grow in our holiness and to make the right decisions because when we get saved, this is going to be, you're going to answer me this. When we get saved, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is the person and the power and the presence of God living within us at all times. And he, you, what you will find is when you yield to the Spirit in your life, when you actually allow him to do his work in you, you will find that you all of a sudden have power to do things that you seemingly wouldn't otherwise be able to do. You have power to resist sin and to walk away from it. And it's not your power, it's God's power living in you by the Spirit. And no, we're not going to get it right all the time. You and I are still gonna slip up, but by God's grace and power, we can continually move in this direction toward holiness, toward our sanctification, toward Christ-likeness, toward our wonderful Savior that's possible for us in the Spirit. And when we stumble, I say when, because we all do it, welcome to church, God has grace for us. And this grace, though, is not a grace so that we can keep on sinning. God's grace is a grace that empowers us to walk away from sin and stay away from it. And as we do this, not only do we grow, God is glorified in a big way. That should be our heart. We have been reconciled to God so that we can be holy before him. Number six, a couple more to go. You guys are doing great. We've been reconciled to stability. Somebody help me. Stability. This will be another question you can answer for me. In the last four months, raise your hand if your life has changed any. Keep your hand up if your life looks different now than it did in February. Okay, there's this thing that we call COVID, right? But even actually apart from COVID, forget for a minute that it didn't even exist. Life is still difficult. Life can still be topsy-turvy. Things can happen that can really throw us off. And if we're not properly grounded as believers, we can get knocked around pretty good, right? It's like if you went camping in a tent and you didn't hammer your tent pegs into the ground, the wind might blow up in the night and you might get blown out into the middle of the lake, okay? God has something different in mind for us. God wants us to be steadfast. He wants us to be stable. And this does not mean that when you become a Christian, God takes away all the difficult things. That's not how it works. God gives us strength, though, to get through the difficult things without doing this. He helps us to stay stable and steadfast. Look at verse 23 of our text. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting. So if we look at that in context of our whole uh, section of scripture, this is saying that part of what it means to be reconciled to God is to live a life of steadfastness and being stable. Since we've been reconciled to God, since his presence dwells within us, 
we can do this, right, instead of doing this. If you read the book of James, chapter 1, it says this, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That tells me is that when we aren't steadfast, when we aren't stable, when we choose to not trust in the Lord and in the strength that he gives us, we actually miss out on something that God has for us. We miss out on the peace and the joy and the assurance that God has for us in Christ. And true or false, it's way better to do this than to do this, right? That's true? Okay. We settle for less when we choose to not trust in the strength the Lord gives us for stability and for, and, and for strength. Um, we, we miss out on something that he has for us. But the reality, like I said, is that in Christ, because we have been reconciled to God through him, we don't have to get washed away by our feelings. We don't have to live the life of one day I'm doing fine and the next day I'm doing terrible. We don't have to be caught up in our circumstances. They don't have to define us. We don't have to sink beneath the wind and the waves of doubt that can pile over top of us in this life. It is possible for us to be steadfast and stable and walking in confidence living in stability before God because he gives us his spirit who strengthens us and I hope that you want that today I want that for me I want that for you and it's possible because we've been reconciled to God in Christ we can live a life of stability now I've got one more to go and this is one of my favorite ones and I'm glad it's at the end better get a drink first we have been reconciled to hope somebody help me I dare say that we need hope more than ever these days. With everything that's going on in the world, it can be so easy to sink into despair uh, when we examine things that are going on around us and to be discouraged. If we're not careful, that's super easy. If you continue on in verse 23, it says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So part of our reconciliation is that we have received a new hope as believers. To hope is to desire with expectation of obtainment or fulfillment. It is to expect with confidence. And we have that and we can do that as Christians because of the gospel, because of the good news about Jesus Christ. When we put our hope in something other than the gospel of the Lord Jesus, when we put our hope in a material thing, say, that can wear out or break someday and let us down. When we put our hope in another person, nice as they may be, they may let us down. When you put your hope in your money or your career or your health, those things can change like that and they don't last forever. But when you put your hope in Jesus Christ, it changes everything because he is everlasting. He is eternal. He is the Lord. He is the king of all kings. He sits upon his throne. He reigns above it all. He is good and he is greater. That's our Lord Jesus, amen? 
Hope in Jesus Christ and hope in the gospel about him gives us perspective. It makes us think, right, even though I was far from God, I've been brought near in Christ. Even though I was a sinner, I am now a saint in Christ. I have been forgiven and freed from sin, and I am now a child of God. That is my identity in Christ. I have been given a new purpose and a new destiny and a new lease on life in Christ. I can actually step out in faith and live the life that he wants me to live because he is with me and he gives me the strength to do it. I can actually look forward to days that are better than this to an, a glorious eternal future that he has secured for me as a believer. That's what's up. Hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ causes us to fix our eyes not on the things going on around us but straight on him not the turmoil. And that hope is ours right now as believers. We, because we have been reconciled to God in Christ, we have it right now. And this means that we don't have to sink in despair at the state of the world because my friends and brothers and sisters, we belong to the one who has overcome the world. We as believers ought to be a people of tremendous hope we are a people who live in light of what we know is coming. We are a people who know the end game. In fact, we belong to the one who has already won the decisive battle at the cross. We belong to the one who is one day going to show up again and put the war to an ultimate end. And this hope that we have has been made possible because we have been reconciled to God in Christ. <laughs> We've got to wrap up. These have been seven realities of our reconciliation. Uh, we have been reconciled for relationship, reconciled for peace, reconciled for good works, reconciled from death by the death of Jesus. We've been reconciled to be holy, reconciled to stability, and reconciled to hope. My encouragement to you today, and I thank you for listening so well and participating. I hope you keep on doing that in the coming weeks. My encouragement to you today is do not make the mistake of taking your reconciliation to God too lightly. This is, this is something that, unfortunately, it's easy to take it for granted and not think about it. But I'm saying when you step into this and you live a life of thanks and response to this, it changes everything. God has changed everything for us. He has brought us back to the life that we were created to live. And this is not just some helpful fact that you can stow away. This is information worth staking our lives on. This is information that changes the way we operate. And it's all based on the very last bit of our text says the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. We're actually going to talk about that next week. Now, we're not going to be here in person next week. Please don't show up here. You will not get in. Um, but it'll be online. And actually, Jim Edel is going to preach next week. I'm really excited for that. Uh, he's going to continue in our text with that. But, but the gospel... Uh, that we're talking about, that good news of Jesus Christ. He is the God who loves us. He is the one who created us. He is the one who gave himself for us. He is the one who reconciles us to right relationship. He is the one who gives us uh, hope and a future and a purpose in the here and now. He is the one who has brought us back into the life that you were literally born to live. Let us not waver from the truth and the hope of the gospel. Let us not waver from our glorious King Jesus, but stick close to him. Are we good? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to...